The Fake Show podcast is brought to you by the law firm of Hutchison & Stefan, the Craft House Brewery, now with two locations, the Tone Factory Recording Studio, Moonshot.com t-shirt designs, Mr. Antenna, now your host, Jim Tofty. My pal Louie Anderson has really had a bit of a resurgence lately with the starring role on the FX sitcom Baskets, for which he has won an Emmy. That has led to more touring than ever, and he's making a stop here in Las Vegas at the Red Rock Resort the 17th and 18th of this month. Louie, welcome. How's it going? I'm great, man. How are you? Good. Congratulations on all of your not only past, but recent success. Thank you. I appreciate that. Baskets is such a great show, I think, because it's kind of that uh, show that involves subtle comedy, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, my my idea of Baskets is it's kind of like, yeah, it's kind of like you, you haven't really seen much like this before on TV. You know, it's, yeah. it's like a, it's a slapstick drama is what the <laughs> right. director calls it, Yeah, which is a great, it's a great thing to call, you know, it's very good, you know, slapstick, slapstick drama. It's a nice one, you know. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I and I've seen you promoting it uh, recently. Are you getting a little bit healthier these days? I am. I'm working on my uh, my uh, movement and uh, food and the whole thing. Is that something where seeing yourself on TV on a regular basis does that make it easier for for you to do that? Uh, actually, what really has affected me is more than that. Uh, of course, that doesn't hurt, does it? No, <laughs> it doesn't hurt, but. The real truth is, uh, uh, lost a brother. It'll be a year, my baby brother. And that, you know, put, you know, he just dropped and he dropped dead. And I just said, Hey, I'm going to change. I got to figure this out. It's going to be hard. It's not going to be easy. And, uh, so I started doing it then and started looking at myself in a different way and, and then taking care of myself and those kinds of things. And that seemed to be a real boost to me. You've done uh, OA meetings, too, haven't you, in the past? Have those helped I at have, all? yeah. Overeaters Anonymous, a great organization. You know, people can exercise all they want, but if you don't change your food habits, you're not going to lose any weight, period, period. You can walk for eight miles. If you eat 8,000 calories, it's not going to help you. Whatever you take in and whatever, you you know, comes out, that's, you know, if you're not burning the calories... You're in trouble then. Do you think that some of that comes from stress eating? Absolutely. Absolutely. It comes from stress eating. You hit it right on the head. Um, And my stress eating, you know, comes from, I guess, everywhere. You know, you lose somebody close to you. That's very stressful. Yeah. And you're trying to change yourself. And then, you know, there's a lot of complications. And then when my dad used to drink, my mom used to feed us. So there's a lot of mixed messages there. And then I built a whole character on being fat. So, you know, I have tremendous amount of things going on, but I'm hopeful that this is going to be a really great year for me health-wise. And good luck to you on that. I, You know, I you. I, I know that you had won uh, two Emmys before on, on your animated series, Life with Louie, which I just loved. But did winning for baskets mean even more to you? You know, I guess, you know, that's a question that's been asked to me a few times. And I guess my answer has to be yes and no. You know, yes, because it's a primetime Emmy. So, you know, that's a whole different ballgame for people to get a primetime Emmy. It's just a different category, you know. And uh, 
in a primetime Emmy, geez, you know, you go, wow, I won the primetime Emmy? And then you just see the people I beat, you know, but I took a look back at the people I competed with for the voice Emmy in, in uh, Life with Louie. It was Robin Williams, uh, Ed Asner, <laughs> and a lot of great, talented uh, voice artists. Wow, I, I forgot about that, I guess. Yeah. And so uh, the actors, I, I guess I hate to say I beat them out, but I competed with for that prize uh, were all people I had tremendous amount and do have tremendous amount of respect for. So it's kind of a complicated question you ask, but yeah, I have to say, I have to say yes and no. I was surprised that night and thrilled and um, humbled and you know very grateful for it. But uh, the performance is, you know, doing the performance for me, whether it's stand up, the animated, the game show, the performance is the prize for me. I always tell young comics, it's the journey. You know, the prizes are nice, but the journey is the real prize in doing anything. I know that you've been this road warrior for for years. I, I recently talked to Margaret Cho, and she talked about people that she had to follow on stage. And for her, it always happened to be Robin Williams, which was a very tough person to, <laughs> to, to, to follow, as you know. Who were some of the tough ones for you? Well, Rob, you know, you know, one of the things I really, to be completely transparent, I always thought I was the best comic. And so even though I had to follow them, which wasn't always easy, Sam Tennyson, Eddie Murphy, Richard Pryor, Robin Williams, those were difficult for anyone to follow. Uh, but one of the things I used to do is say, Oh, here's my opportunity to let people know just how damn good I am. You know, because as a stand-up, you know, you really need that attitude to, to survive. That particular environment is very similar to, you know, minus the uh, the fact that they kill you. Uh, it, it's my, you know, similar to the gladiator. You know, the difference is they end up killing you in the in the arena. As a stand-up, you end up killing yourself because not physically, but you know, you end up taking it so personal. You know, people have, you have to, you have to be careful not to put too much emphasis on a performance. If you put too much value on something, that's the first, that's a really easy way to screw it up. Well, and it's like comparing apples and oranges, I guess, because someone like a Sam Kinison, who was very loud and boisterous, and you, who I see a lot of uh, kind of a Jack Benny type of delivery, it's, it's hard to compare anyway. My idols, that's for sure. I can see that. I, I rem if I remember correctly, you growing up in, kind of in the same area I did. I grew up in Wisconsin. I, I know that you started oh, yeah. you started in Minneapolis, I believe, at Mickey Finn's. Right, yeah, Mickey Finn's, and I, uh, I loved it. You know, it's such a great atmosphere, and, and growing up like where we did. Well, you know, that was the that was the intimate atmosphere that you know created the comic you see and the audiences in the Midwest. Are, they root for you. They want you to do well, and they they try to help you get to the place that you're going. They may not laugh at the stuff that isn't working, but they don't. They are encouraging all the way through. They'll let you know if a joke has has potential. And when you're starting out, you you know you're learning what jokes have potential, what doesn't. Do you think that with your material that you finally hit it, you kind of broke through when you started to use your family and all of the characters there? Yes. 
that's when I really found my voice more than anything. I thought it was so funny how you said one time about your mom that the only vacation she ever got was the week that she spent in the hospital after having a baby. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> so do I. <laughs> I always thought that was really a great joke. Now I have another joke about my mom that people, it's a little not really Louie, but it's, it's maybe more Louie now than ever. I go, I was 10th of 11 children. When I was born, I just slid out. I was home from the hospital before my mom. <laughs> which, yeah. which is really, a, I think, a kind of a modern joke for, right. you know, I wouldn't necessarily have said that in the beginning of my career, but I just thought, I think it's so funny. She is obviously, you've talked about it before, the the model for your character on, on the show, Baskets. Was it Zach Galifianakis and Louis C.K. who who thought, yeah, this is the guy who's perfect for this. Well, I think they had a, a woman named Brenda, I forget her name. I think if you look a little, you could find it. But uh, who was originally the character, the person they wanted for that part. That was the original uh, person. Uh, she's a British actress. I uh, She wasn't available. Was it Brenda Blethen? Yes. So I guess she wasn't available. And then Louie and Zach were talking. And... Um, and Zach made a noise, and he goes, he goes, this is the this is how, the voice I hear for the mother. And then uh, Louis said, "Well, that sounds like Louis Anderson." He goes, "Yeah." He goes, "Should we call him?" <laughs> and then they they called me. They got my number from my agent, and they called me. I think that at that moment, and they said to me, "Would you do a part on Zach's sitcom?" And I said, yeah, of course, I'd love to. They said, would you play his mother? And I go, yes. <laughs> That's perfect. Right. So, you know, who know, who who would have ever thought that that was what's going to happen? Yeah, and it's so well written and directed. Is it the Portlandia guy who directs this show? Yeah, Jonathan Kreisel is nice. he's a genius. Yeah. He's a genius. He's the person who has really helped me make Christine as... Uh, as good as she is. He's always given me wonderful nuance. Like, you know, our goal, I think, John, well, mine is, and I think Jonathan's is also, is to make Louis Anderson disappear in the part. Oh, and it totally works, yeah. And so, yeah, he he really, he's such a great, he's really, really coming into his own as a director. We've talked about this before, you might not remember it, but both of us being the sons of alcoholics, and the really great thing you did was you wrote this book called Dear Dad, which you wrote 10 years after he died. Why did you feel the need to write that at that point? You know, it just happened one day. I was in Milwaukee at the Summerfest. Oh, sure. And I was driving back. You know, I had done appearance, and it was a, everybody was drunk during the day and walking in front of our car, and, you know, kind of making, you know, how when you try to get someone to move. And uh, I said, boy, that reminds me of my dad right there. And I went back to the Fister Hotel there in Milwaukee. Right. I had a journal. I carried a journal with me. Sat down and I wrote that first letter to my dad. And I probably wrote two and a half journals of letters. And then uh, People Magazine was doing an article on adult children of alcoholics. And they knew I was one. And I said, well, I have these letters here that I wrote to my dad if you want to look through them and pick one or two. And they they did and they printed it. At the time, I had just got a deal from... No, if it was Simon and Schuster or someone like that to do a biography. I got such a response from the letters, the 
in the People magazine article. Yeah. That I said, I don't want to do a biography. I want to write the, a, a book to my dad called Dear Dad, uh, Letters from an Adult Child. And uh, I would say that changes changed the trajectory. I can never say that word. <laughs> trajectory. Yeah, of uh, trajectory of my uh, my career, that, that particular book, because that gave people a real view, a reflection in a big pond of comedy that was darker than uh, they maybe wanted to see. And that book, you know, 10,000 people wrote me letters. I still have all those letters. It's amazing. And I, and I, I think it kind of let people know, myself included, that it takes... A long time, years sometimes, to, to work your way through those resentments. It does. And I'm starting a workshop coming up. I'm going to start workshopping the uh, book. I want to make a stage play out of it. Oh, wow. So a, a one-man show. And so I'm starting to do that. I may start it here in Vegas where I could go in on, on my days off and have an audience and find my way through where I could do the comedy and I could do the letters and I could maybe play both characters, my mom and dad and, and me. So I don't know. I'm working on it. I'm, more, I'm, I'm finding my way through it is what's really happening. And I, I really want to make it a stage play because I don't feel like people read as much and that maybe the, maybe the play could help other people because I do feel like that book changed my whole relationship with my dad. Even though he was dead, it gave me a chance to really forgive him. I totally get that. I think that sounds like a great idea. I don't think a lot of people realize that your grandfather and his life was absolutely crazy, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, I mean, my dad, the reason he was like that was on in his family, there was a murder while his parents were gone. And him and his sister were uh, younger, so they were taken away. And um, they they ruined my dad's life by doing that. Him and his sister were split up, and he had to go and live on a farm in Northfield, Minnesota, from Frazee, Minnesota. He had a miserable life because of some circumstance at home, and the parents weren't home. When I found all that out, you know, I was able to really say, oh, my God, my dad actually was a... He actually did a lot better than maybe I would have in that situation. Yeah. And so it's really easy to find that forgiveness in there. Didn't you work for Henny Youngman in the early days? You know, I did a comedy contest in St. Louis called the Midwest Comedy Competition in 1981, I think, St. Louis. And uh, Henny Youngman was one of the judges, and I took third place, and he said, I, I think you should have won. And then we stayed then, and I started some writing for him. He had a grandson he wanted to do comedy, and he was a large kid. And so I started writing some jokes for him. And so I I wrote some jokes for Henny for a bit and uh, became friends with him. And uh, I was very lucky to become friends with him and John Rivers and Rodney Dangerfield. Yeah. They all were very complimentary in my life when they met me and, and about my acting gave me great encouragement and advice. Yeah, that young comedian show you did uh, with Rodney Dangerfield was pivotal in your career, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, you know, it was another uh, layer of frosting on a already baked cake because Johnny Carson really was the one who single-handedly propelled me. You did a bunch of Tonight Shows, I know that because I remember them. Yeah. Johnny was nice. He really liked me, so I was really fortunate. That's a big thing when Johnny likes you. You just feel a little extra special. I don't know. I don't, at least I did. Yeah, and I don't know if there's a show like that anymore, is there? No, there really isn't. I think there's a series of things you have to do now 
as opposed to one single thing. I mean, you could win America's Got Talent, and that could propel you pretty well. But there's some, you know, there were only three or three channels, I think, on at the time, weren't there? Yeah, that's about right. And uh, if you made a hit on the Carson show, you were the talk of the water cooler the next day. And this kind of led to you opening for big acts here in Las Vegas, I remember. Yeah, actually, yeah. The next week, I started opening for people. Commodores, the, uh, you name it, I opened for them, you know. Uh, Kenny Rogers, Dolly Parton, Ray Charles, Glenn Campbell, Smokey Robinson, the Pointer Sisters, Natalie Cole, Barbara Mandrell. You know, there really is, I have to say, there probably is many acts came to Vegas during that era that I didn't have a chance to open, to open for. You had the same agent as Bob Hope at that point or at, at I one did. time? Yeah, Bob Hope and Marlena Dietrich. That's quite a trio, you and Bob and Marlena. <laughs> <laughs> Frank Rio, he's a great agent. If the guy said the wrong price to me, slammed the phone down. He hung up on him, let it ring. I'd be in his office, he'd go, I'll, uh, I, I'll let it ring a while. Let him know how much he insulted me. That's old school, isn't it? Yeah, then he'd pick it up and go, what? And then he'd slam it down again if they came up with the wrong price again. He goes, now I'll wait till tomorrow to call him back. He was a really great guy. He he really helped me so much because, you know, I didn't have to go and do the dreaded uh, club uh, thing. So Vegas has always been a big part of my life since 1984. It's been uh, easily uh, half of my time probably in those years of being here and more. I worked 11 weeks a year at, at Bally's and worked at Desert Inn and worked uh, Caesars, Rio. And you've lived here for, for quite a few years, right? Yeah, I lived here now for 11 years, yeah. You know, on the show Baskets, I know that you've got room to improvise, and I'm assuming that you've got some influence with the writers because you know your character so well. Yeah, I mean, you know, what I do is I respect the writing and I go, hey, can I do it the way my mom would have said it? Or the way the thing... Or could I do it the way my dad would have been, would have done this? Or can I do it the way I saw a woman do when I was growing up in Minnesota? Can I take real things and put them out there? And that's what I think resonates with Christine so well. With Life with Louie, this was on in a, in a lot of countries around the world. And your dad's character was there and your mom. And it resonated with a lot of people, I think. Did your dad see that show? No, my dad never got to see any of those things. He always had a picture of me by then he saw my first performance and he always thought that I would do well. He said, you'll do good, Louie. And I was named after him, even though people called him Andy. His name was Louis. I feel like that was destiny for me. And then, you know what's so amazing about my dad's character and how strong it was? Even if they did, you know, those they did that those voices in other countries, my dad's character still transferred through with other with the native tongue, so, so that was really a magnificent thing. You know, I've got a hundred thousand fans in Turkey and Romania, and a hundred thousand fans in Belarus and uh, Wow, Russia and uh, Poland, and I mean, I've got all these people on my Life and Louis page from all over the world who you know write me and go, "Please come, come visit us. We love you here. You made our childhood." And, it's quite an overwhelming idea that something I could make would make people so, so happy. Have you ever gone over to any of those places? I was all scheduled to go, and then they had the bombings in Turkey, and so the State Department thought it would be a good idea if I didn't go. Yeah. It was, unfor- it was unfortunate, but I've talked to people since, and they go, you'd be safe there, you'd be 
fine. I go, well, you know, nothing screams American like Louis Anderson. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe if you dressed up in the wig and the dress, they'd leave you alone. Right. When I talk to you and other good comedians, everyone says that the material has to have some kind of meaning, and that's very important to you, isn't it? Well, you know, I always tell comedians, I go, "Is your material? It does it mean anything to you? Because if it doesn't mean anything to you, it isn't going to mean anything to the audience." And uh, yeah, it has to. I don't want to do something that. Gratuitous. I don't. I'm not a joke teller. I'm not. I'm. I'm. I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to woo you with one-liners. I'm trying to give you a, a combination of great jokes with great content. And when you go home, something to think about. And I know it's a big ambitious thing, but why do it if you don't go for it? I love it. In the show Baskets, does your character have a backstory that we're going to learn about? Something. Yeah. From the past. Besides the fact that she's addicted to Costco. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she has a rich backstory and you're going to find out it's going to be revealed, you know, the rest of the season, especially this is quite a beautiful season. And, uh, and I know the writers, you know, uh, I bet are already back in the writing room working on season three as soon as the uh, order comes down. That's great. I have to, before I let you go, I have to ask you, when you're growing up and there are 11 kids in the house, did you guys eat in shifts? Yeah, we did, actually. But also, you know, when you have a 20-year span in age, some of the kids were out of the house by then. Yeah, that, right. You know, in service, in school, in college, not so much in college. We didn't have a big college group, but we had a lot of people in the service and a lot of young girls who got married. It's Emmy Award-winning Louis Anderson, the Las Vegas resident who plays Christine Baskets on FX. It is so nice to talk to you, Louis. I, I'm so thrilled with all the recent stuff going on for you. Yeah, I, I uh, thank you so much. Good luck to you, buddy. All right, thanks, Louis. All right, Louis. Bye-bye. All right, bye. Catch Louis Anderson on Baskets on the FX network, where he's probably going to be looking at a second Emmy nod. Well, that is it for this edition of The Fake Show. I'm Jim Tofty. I'll see you next time. Take The Fake Show on the road by listening on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes.